Tracy Sable tonight on EWTN News Nightly, high stakes meeting. Congressional leaders visit the White House to discuss Ukraine, Israel, and how to avoid a government shutdown. Headed to Alabama, what the Secretary of Health and Human Services is saying about the recent ruling on the personhood of frozen embryos. Idle controversy, pushback at the University of Houston amid the unveiling of a statue supporting abortion. And have to hope. Hundreds of Christian students hold a rally in the Holy Land. These stories and more tonight. From EWTN, the Global Catholic Network, this is EWTN News Nightly. Thank you for being with us on the Feast of St. Gregory of Narek. Our top story tonight, President Joe Biden hosts a critical meeting at the White House that could determine future funding for the wars in Ukraine and the Middle East. He invited the top four leaders of Congress to the Oval Office. The Senate already passed a $95 billion national security package, and now the world watches to see if House lawmakers will follow suit. White House correspondent Owen Jensen begins our team coverage tonight. Owen? Tracy, good evening to you as President Joe Biden welcomed the four lawmakers to the Oval Office. He told them, quote, I think the consequences of inaction every day in Ukraine are dire, end quote. In addition to the national security package the president has been pressing hard for, also on the docket, money to keep the U.S. government up and running. I want to thank the leaders for being here today. we got a lot of work to do. President Joe Biden sits down with House Speaker Mike Johnson, Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer, House Minority Leader Hakeem Jeffries, and Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell. we got to figure out how we're going to keep uh, funding the government, which is an important problem, an important solution we need to find, and I think we can do that. And, uh, and Ukraine, I think the need is urgent. The war in Ukraine now entering its third year, with concerns growing over Russia gaining the edge in the battle. While in the Middle East, Israel still fighting Hamas in the Gaza Strip. Thousands dead, no end in sight. In terms of supplemental, we need to deal with the Israeli portion. But that also contains a significant portion having to do with humanitarian assistance into the Palestinian areas, which I think is important. When the meeting with the president was over, the congressional leaders spoke to reporters gathered outside the West Wing. Speaker Johnson says he wants the border fixed first. It's time for action. It is a catastrophe, and it must stop. And we will get the government funded, and we'll keep working on that. The meeting on um, Ukraine was one of the most intense I have ever encountered in my many meetings in the Oval Office. And so we said to the speaker, get it done. Later in the White House briefing... The Speaker has to decide exactly what he wants to do here and then move out. He says he wants to act in a timely fashion on Ukraine. Well, let's go. Let's get them what they need. And the president is more than willing to have discussions about the border. Also tonight, a debate over $300 billion in frozen Russian assets. Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen saying today she supports liquidating those assets and using them for Ukraine's long-term reconstruction. At the White House, Owen Jensen, EWTN News Nightly. Uh, meanwhile, Capitol Hill senators also weighed in on a possible government shutdown and its impact across the country. Capitol Hill correspondent Eric Rosales continues our team coverage with the latest. Eric? 
Well, good evening, Tracy. Yes, senators were briefed about the White House meeting during their party luncheons, and all eyes are on Congress to pass something, either a continuing resolution or some sort of a funding bill to avoid a partial government shutdown. As we know, Friday night is the deadline, affecting about 25 percent of the government's operations. The speaker was optimistic that they'll be able to move forward first with the four bills. And... Um, under no circumstances does anybody want to shut the government down, so I think we can stop that drama right here. This is the, this will go down in history as the least productive, the absolute least productive Congress in the history of the United States of America. One of the major sticking points is billions in aid for Ukraine. The situation on the battlefield remains extremely serious. President Putin's aim to dominate Ukraine has not changed. And there are no indications that he's preparing for peace. Many Democrats and Republicans are also pushing for it. Not only the future of Ukraine is on the line, which is extremely important, uh, but the larger battle uh, against authoritarian is, authoritarianism is on the line. There's too much at stake here. This is not just about Ukraine. This is about freedom versus dictatorships. This is about truth versus propaganda. But House Republicans tell me they don't want to pass a spending plan until they see true changes in immigration and border security. So my position to my colleagues on Capitol Hill is clear. You either secure the border or you get no money for the government. So the, the position of the House remains the same. H.R. 2 is the official position in securing the border, and we stand by that. This will be the fourth time since September that lawmakers have been up against a funding deadline, and they keep passing short-term measures to keep the federal offices open. Now, if a partial shutdown does take place, disruptions in federal housing along with some veterans' benefits would be affected. Also, federal workers may see a delay in receiving their paychecks. And there's another deadline next week, that's March 8th, when the rest of the government could actually shut down. At the Capitol, Eric Rosales, EWTN News Nightly. Well, the head of Health and Human Services is in Alabama following the recent ruling that frozen embryos are unborn children. Secretary Javier Becerra will meet with doctors and patients who have been impacted by the state Supreme Court's recent decision on in vitro fertilization. The Catholic Church opposes IVF. Both, pre both President Joe Biden and GOP frontrunner Donald Trump say they support it. The issue is set to become a talking point in Super Tuesday primaries next week. While the Alabama Supreme Court ruling has also caught the attention of lawmakers on Capitol Hill. Democrat Senator Tammy Duckworth, who got pregnant through IVF, and Senator Patty Murray plan to introduce a bill tomorrow on the Senate floor to protect access to in vitro fertilization and other assisted reproductive technology. My Access to Family Building Act which would ensure that every American's right to become a parent via treatments like IVF is fully protected, regardless of what state they live in, guaranteeing that no hopeful parent or doctor is punished. Today in America, 200 babies were born because of in vitro fertilization. We should celebrate the miracle of every one of those births, separate the technology that uh, God has given us. Uh, I did many in vitro fertilization patients uh, participated in those cycles. If you're a member of the Catholic Church, yes, sir. love our Catholic friends, uh, they have a view based on religious teaching. We're talking about the role of the government here. In terms of fertility clinics, if you're pro-life, you want these things to function. 
to actually provide people with children who have a hard time otherwise. So I don't want to do anything to shut that down. Some Republicans who express support for in vitro fertilization are coming under scrutiny for also backing legislation that declares human life begins at conception without an exception for IVF. Congressman Alex Mooney of West Virginia introduced the Life at Conception Act in January of last year and has 125 co-sponsors. No ceasefire, no vote. That is the message voters are sending to President Biden in today's Michigan primary. With the largest Arab American population in the United States, the state poses a crucial test to the impact of the administration's policy on the Israel-Hamas war. Biden's support for Israel has led to a movement by Democratic voters to check uncommitted on today's ballot. But Republicans are also facing challenges as former President Donald Trump and former U.M. Ambassador Nikki Haley battle it out. There is a factional split within the Michigan GOP over ideological and personal differences. The results will provide a look at voting trends in a large swing state. Well, hours before Michigan voters went to the polls, President Biden warned Israel that it risked losing international support over the Gaza offensive and offered hope that a ceasefire deal could be reached. My national security advisor tells me that we're close. We're close. It's not done yet. And my hope is by next Monday, we'll have a ceasefire. Hamas's leadership appeared skeptical, telling one pan-Arab TV channel that it was not satisfied with the current proposal. One thing is for certain, the United Nations says tens of thousands of Palestinians in Gaza are in desperate need of humanitarian aid and are at risk for starvation. And we have a lot more still to come here on EWTN News Nightly, including speaking out against hatred. The Holy Father reacts to violence in West Africa and reaction to a controversial statue on a Texas college campus. Pope Francis is expressing grief for what he calls a tragic terrorist attack during a mass at a Catholic church in Burkina Faso. He also condemned the attack against a mosque in the area. The Holy Father says that he prays for the souls of the deceased and that hatred is not the solution to conflicts. Burkina Faso is Muslim-majority country ruled by a military junta. In the past three years, it has seen an increase in attacks on religious groups. Here to explain the situation and more is Brett Bruin, president of the Global Situation Room. Brett, good to be with you as always. So what more can you tell us about these horrific attacks in Burkina Faso over the past 48 hours? Well, look, uh, the Sahel in West Africa has witnessed uh, just an increasing amount of political instability, as well as obviously uh, security instability. And that, um, as recent events in Burkina Faso uh, show, has created a, a very dangerous, a very uh, difficult situation. And this is only going to worsen if there is no intervention, if there is not more of a robust action. There have been efforts both by regional uh, groups such as the Economic Community of West African States, ECOWAS, but uh, what we've also seen from a number of uh, these regimes that have seized power is that they are not uh, bending to uh, their neighbors' uh, pleas for uh, addressing uh, some of the both democratic as well as security issues. So at the moment, uh, this situation is likely only to worsen. 
Brett, you know this region well. What's at play here? What do you think is fueling these attacks and all of this violence? Well, several factors. One, you have indigenous groups uh, that have uh, had differences with political uh, power in uh, these respective countries, but that has been exacerbated by uh, interventions, namely from the likes of Russia uh, and um, Russian-backed groups, mercenaries, but also uh, we have seen extremist groups uh, from Boko Haram in Nigeria through to uh, formerly uh, al-Qaeda and other uh, ISIS-aligned movements that have operated in this space. And the political vacuum and the political upheaval in a lot of these countries allows those groups to gain even more power. And quite frankly, the world, uh, the United States, has taken its eye off of the region. It has not been uh, a top priority during COVID and the pandemic, but also obviously with wars in Ukraine, uh, Israel and Gaza right now, as well as the threat of conflict over Taiwan. A Burkina Faso, along with some other neighboring countries, left ECOWAS, the economic community of Western African states, uh, recently. For those who are not familiar, Brett, tell us what led to that break and why that was significant. Well, there was uh, a push by uh, the countries of West Africa who are members of this regional bodies like the European Union, and uh, they were trying to restore constitutional order to Burkina Faso after a, a coup. And they've done this in a number of different countries. But what we have unusually seen in uh, the case of Burkina Faso is this um, pushback, saying we're not going to cede to uh, the regional organization's demands for returning to constitutional order. We're going to ignore them. And in fact, we're going to uh, boot out a number of uh, countries, international organizations. So this really has opened up a whole new chapter in uh, how African countries are responding to international pressure. And it obviously comes with a lot of consequences. Brett, before I let you go, I want to go back here to the United States. Uh, President Biden met with congressional leaders today to try and push the multi-billion dollar national security package over the finish line. That said, how important is this aid to our allies, including Ukraine, Israel and Taiwan? And do you think this deal will get done? It is existential for countries like Ukraine, as well as Taiwan. It's important that leaders here in the United States understand that, one, this aid is about American security. Let's not uh, fall into a false belief that we can simply ignore countries invading other nations, and it doesn't increase the price of gas. It doesn't increase the price of products. It doesn't increase the amount of money that we have to spend not only to defend or support the defense of one country like uh, Taiwan or uh, Ukraine, but we will have to pay for the defense of all of our allies in NATO, all of our allies across the Indo-Pacific region. So this is a good deal for Americans. It's in our national security interests. It's in our economic interests. And I certainly hope that congressional leaders on both sides can go past some of the polarized politics of the moment and get this done for the United States and our national security. All right, we're going to leave it right there. Brett, thank you so much for your time and for your insights. Always appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. 
Up next on EWTN News Nightly, stepping up an inspiring event for Christian students in Jerusalem. Plus, the Holy Father reveals his prayer intention for the month of March. Pope Francis has released his prayer intention for the month of March. In it, he asked the faithful to remember the courage and the witness of the martyrs. Que es un reflejo de la Iglesia de hoy. Es la historia de un testimonio de fe poco conocido. In his video, the Holy Father also reminds the faithful that there are more martyrs today than at the beginning of Christianity. For this reason, the Pope requests prayers for them, explaining that a martyr is a Christian who bears witness to the gospel until death without resorting to violence. Two Catholic schools in the East San Francisco Bay Area will close at the end of the school year. The Diocese of Oakland announced the closures amid concerns about security, as well as human trafficking activity in that area. The diocese also cited financial problems and low enrollment. Well, the University of Houston is set to unveil a statue tomorrow that some deem as satanic. The 18-foot-tall golden statue was transported to Texas from Madison Square Park in New York City. The artist says that it is in part response to the overturning of Roe v. Wade. Pro-lifers are set to hold a prayer rally tomorrow during the opening ceremony. And joining us now is John Sego, president of Texas Right to Life, the group that organized tomorrow's prayer rally. John, good to be with you today. We appreciate it. Um, first, for those who may not be familiar, tell us more about the statue and why it's being brought to Texas, I mean, specifically the University of Houston. Right. Well, this was a shocking development of this uh, very radical statue that was on display in New York um, is actually being brought to Texas. And the artist and the commissioner of the statue are very clear that this statue is to celebrate um, abortion rights. Um, this is to um, actually celebrate um, disobedience from God through imagery that we find in the Bible. And it says that they're embracing satanic imagery like the horns uh, and the um, other images on the statue to celebrate disobedience from God while um, kind of advocating for abortion rights. And so it's a real scandalous situation here in the heart of Texas. John, who's behind this initiative? Is it just the artists or is there another group uh, behind this person? Who's paying for all this? So unfortunately, this is a cooperation between a group in New York and the University of Houston uh, Art Center itself. And so um, we have a public institution here, the University of Houston. They have one of their institutes uh, that does art. And um, unfortunately, they co-commissioned this piece. And there were several statues in this. Um, in this line, and they all had this satanic imagery. And in the documents talking about the art, they're very clear um, that the idea is to turn horns into a piece of pride, not a piece of shame associated with uh, this, with Satan and satanic forces. And so it really is concerning to Texans, uh, and it's really disappointing from a public institution. Yeah, what are people saying? I mean, what's been the response from students on campus, maybe the faculty? I understand some students really don't want it there and others are really just annoyed that it's being placed on some of the last available green space that they have there on the campus. Right. Well, this was announced last year and there was an immediate um, blowback from alumni to 
um, other elected officials and supporters of the university. And at that point, the university said that they canceled the statue, that they were not going to host it, uh, that it was inappropriate, and they completely backed out. Well, then, you know, about a month ago, we got news again that actually that wasn't true, uh, that they were bringing the statue. And so uh, two weeks ago, the statue was unveiled on campus. They've canceled all of the celebratory events that they had scheduled uh, to to highlight the statue, but it is right now on the University of Houston's campus, and unfortunately, it is promoting um, abortion. It's not just having a dialogue between people with different perspectives. It is promoting to the University of Houston students and the community that abortion is something to be celebrated, uh, and actually rebellion from God is something to be elevated and looked upon favorably. And that's what's really disturbing um, the, the Texans who are concerned about it here. John, before I let you go, we have about a minute or so left. Um, what would you like the university to do about this art, um, so-called art installation? And also tell us about the prayer rally. What kind of response are you getting there? Yeah, so we're putting together a rally tomorrow with faith leaders and with nonprofits, organizations that are dedicated to actually serving the University of Houston and the community around the campus um, that we have in Texas. We have more to offer than abortion. And the most disappointing thing of this is it shows that the university administrators and leaders really think that that is the best that they have to offer their students. Right now, college students are being targeted by the abortion industry even in a pro-life state where they're mailing abortion pills directly to students on campus, we want the message to be clear. There are better options. There is support. There are those that are here dedicated to support those students in the community around the university. Um, there's a great pro-life group that is serving students every day. We have more to offer than abortion. And unfortunately, the University of Houston is sending the wrong message with this statue. Well, John, thank you so much for filling us in on all this. We appreciate it. God bless. Yep. Thank you. Well, finally, tonight, an inspiring scene in Jerusalem as hundreds of young people hold a rally for peace. The Way of the Cross, a way of peace, featured young people and students from Christian schools. A broken statue of Jesus, which was damaged before last year's event, was carried, symbolizing the suffering of our Lord. Taking place following the onset of the Israel-Hamas war, a leader at the walk says the event encourages children to remain steadfast in hope. Well, we thank you for watching tonight. And remember, you can follow us on social media, Facebook, X, and Instagram at EWTN News Nightly. I'm Tracy Sable. Good night and God bless.